Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Um, I'm Jeremy Smith, sitting in for Pierre Paul, who unfortunately is not well. And tonight I'm joined by two of our regulars, two of our big Twitterati. Uh, we've got Clinton Macdubos, <laughs> who's taken a little break from trolling Barcelona fans to join us. <laughs> Hi. Um, <laughs> and Rich Allen, who's taken a break from chatting to World Cup winner Vicente Lizarazu to join us. <laughs> Hello. Um, we've got a little bit of Europe coming out, a little bit of Coupe de France um, and a couple of other things, but there's only really one place to start after this weekend, and that's the big match last night, the Rhone derby, the Rhone Loire derby, depending on how pedantic you are, and Lyon's 2-0 win over Saint-Étienne. Um, looking at the score, you'd sort of think it was probably uh, a relatively comfortable result for Lyon. Uh, Rich, do you think it was as comfortable as the score suggests? Uh, you, you'd say that as well after the first half. I mean, it, it was a, quite a game. First 45 minutes, Lyon absolutely dominated. Saint-Étienne were the sort of meek uh, meek team that we've we've seen of late, lacking any kind of inspiration, any kind of creativity, looking a bit shaky at the back. Um, and sort of with the story with the Juventus game midweek, I think Leon will probably be would have gone in certainly into the half time of, of, of last night, thinking we probably should be further ahead than we actually are. Um, Moussa Dembele put them into the lead sort of midway through the first half, but it, it was all set for for sort of Leon to sort of put their foot down in the second half and and sort of streak off into the distance with a, a really comfortable, potentially quite a high-scoring derby win. But credit to, well, credit to a degree to Saint-Étienne that after the break, um, something had clearly gotten through to them uh, in the in the changing rooms because they were, in that second half, a different team. They were more attack-orientated. Um, they were creating opportunities. They were putting Leon under pressure. I mean, Leon really, instead of putting the foot on the gas, really took it off because they were, they were quite sloppy in that second half. And... For large spells of that second half, you thought this has got a Saint-Étienne equaliser sort of written all over it. Saint-Étienne were, were, were applying the pressure, playing some fairly decent football, but sort of lacking in that sort of in and around the penalty area. And it really highlighted their problems in terms of a lack of reliable goal scorer. Um, Lyon were, were the victims of two disallowed goals. I think one rightly um, in terms of Toko Kambeha having an effort ruled out um, with, with Dembele offside and, and in, in the uh, in the sort of eye line of, of Jesse Moulin. I think the first goal that was ruled out, which was Luca Toussaint's effort, I think was pretty unlucky. I mean, it was, um, I think it was a shot parried by, by Moulin and, and Toussaint reacted quickest. Initially, it was ruled out straight away and I think everybody thought it was going to be ruled out for offside. You watched it back and it was, it was clear that he was actually onside and he sort of goes to stab at the ball um, on the rebound. It, it, it hits Jesse Moulin and, and ricochets back into Toussaint. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty much, you know, they, they are, Moulin is at Toussaint's foot. So the ricochet is instantaneous, sort of, you know, absolutely nothing Toussaint can do. It rebounds off him. His arms are in front of him. He's not waving his arms around. His arms are in front of him and it hits his arm and goes in. So I think, unfortunately, it's it's VAR. It's 
a ball touching a hand, it doesn't matter about any kind of context. Of course, it's going to be this now, but it, it felt a little bit harsh. Um, I mean, there's no doubt, I think, that Leon deserved the win, and it was a late sort of Penenka-style penalty from Dembele, pretty much the last kick of the game. I think Leon probably would have liked that second half to be far easier, and certainly based on their first half performance, it should have been, but um, a win that was, I think, pretty pretty easily justified and, and sort of resurrects Leon's hope for a push for a Champions League spot and just furthers the misery for Saint-Étienne. Well, on on that point, Clinton, I mean, Rich mentioned um, Saint-Étienne's lack of cutting edge. I mean, it's a little bit unfair to put all the blame on him because he's been in and out of the team all season. But did this match sort of highlight the difference between the two centre-forwards? You've got Dioni, who, who missed a few chances, even early in the first half, despite Lyon's domination. I think it was like ninth minute, he missed a, a pretty makeable chance. And then you've got Dembele, who who was who's pretty clinical with 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 two of his chances. Um, do, I mean, can you put it down to that, or is there a little bit more to it? Well, um, I think he's just not good enough, personally. I've I've just not been convinced by him, especially this season. Obviously, he has not he has not played so much and uh, started about seven games, but when he has played, he has not looked really impressive and once again he, he wasn't impressive at least that chance that you talked about he should have at least gotten it on target some or something but he just went off target and that was it and generally it just feels like you know Santana are relying too much on Buanga to make something happen and when you have when you have that kind of problem where you have to rely on one person to make things happen in the final third, then you have a, a real problem. Because also I think that also goes back to um Claude Pierre because He's he's supposed to create a system that brings the best out of his forwards. So it's not really about one man, but about how the entire team functions in attack. And also, um, it also brings to the way the two halves went, where you had, it was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde thing, where you had them looking absolutely clueless in the first half. And then all of a sudden, in the second half, they looked like they, should, they could actually play. So you're wondering, where was that all through the first half? And I think that has been part of the problem with that pure for the past few months. Um, they, you know that they are capable of better, maybe not much better, but at least better than they are showing. And they really just sit back and, you know, take a lot of pressure and they can't deal with it. And then when they need a goal, they now have to start scrambling up and down and trying to get a goal. So I think as a whole, there's a lot wrong with Santetian right now. I, I'm, I'm actually tipping them for relegation. To be honest, it doesn't look now. In my head, I'm 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 not seeing how Mets go down. <laughs> I'm not good, I'm not also seeing correct correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not seeing how Nim go down. Um, the only team I can say for sure would go down to lose. I think Amion can still spring some surprise, but since the ten are are not that far back, and they might they might play the um, relegation playoff. At least maybe if they, if they finish 18th and then anything could happen. At, at, at this point, I don't know what to expect of that team anymore. Actually, I do expect anything from them. And I think it's particularly painful for me because at the start of the season, I, I did a thing where I had some bold predictions for the season. I mean, I predicted that Abib Diallo was going to score 12 goals at least. And I mean, that that's 
has looked really good. And then I predicted that Santos will finish in Champions League spots, and now they are fighting relegation. It's insane. But I mean, <laughs> I, I guess that's all fun as well, actually. <laughs> exactly. I definitely, because... I definitely didn't predict Diallo to score 12 goals there. I did, I did. I, I'm <laughs> proud of that. But then again, last year I predicted that uh, Mudbozok was going to score 12 as well, and that didn't quite work out. So uh, <laughs> that was more tongue in cheek. But anyway, um, Saint-Étienne, they, they really look so bad right now. And I mean, they, they have a central defensive partnership of an 18 year old and a 19 year old. Both are very, very, very good players, and I'm I'm a huge fan of both players. But I think it kind of shows just where they are. And those two players are like two of their best players, along with Buanga. So when you have an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old, and both of them are centre-backs, and they're like your best players, along with Buanga, then you know that there's a real problem in this team, because there's no reason why that should be the case. But unfortunately, that's where they are now. I, I'm not sure Pure really has a future in that team as well. I'm really, really not sure. Doesn't look like it. Well, that was that was going to be my next question, Rich. Do you think Puel stays till the end of the season, or is his his position really under threat now? It, it has to be under threat. I've sort of speculated. Um, I've speculated even before um, the defeat last night that I, I'd be questioning whether Pua will see out the season. I, I don't know how, considering the state Santetienne are in, I don't know how they can keep him. They are in absolute freefall. The only thing that's saving them is that, you know, there are other teams struggling around them. But, you know, as we saw with Neem, teams in that in that sort of area of the table are very, very capable of stringing together um, a little mini run of, of results and it would only take one or two or more of those teams and put put Saint-Étienne in even deeper trouble. I mean, they're only, I think they're only two points off that relegation playoff zone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think I think they are, I, I personally think they are safe from the two automatic relegation spots because, um, as we said, I don't, you know, Toulouse, are, you know, call it now, call time of death really on, on Toulouse's season <laughs> right now. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure Amiens get out of it either i think there's a bit of a gap starting to open up there avoiding that that playoff relegation playoff spot you know i would not be putting money on saint-etienne avoiding that i i think they are very much one of the favorites to unfortunately end up in that spot i mean they've you know when you think back to uh, i mean we we rewind the clock back to the the christophe gautier days and you know, they were so, so resolute, so, so dependent on that really organised defence. And we were just crying out, you know, play some attacking football. If you added a bit more of an attacking threat to your football, you can turn those sort of fifth, sixth finishes that they were they were getting pretty much season after season. You could turn them easily into you know fourth, maybe even third spot. Um, didn't really capitalise on that. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of those players have been left to sort of um, stay in that team on reputation alone. I mean, I give one thing I would give Puel credit for is he's come in, and as we've seen with Rufier, he's not afraid to 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 drop someone. Um, I mean, it's it, it seems a bit rash th- at this point of the season, and it, it does feel like it's a bit of an act of desperation um, to have made that call right now. Um, but I mean, there's no, there's no hiding the fact that Santetina are a mess. They 
haven't got that resolute defence. I mean, Fafana and, and Saliba, yes, really, really good young players. But to basically have them, as, as, as Clinton said, to have those as your cornerstone of your team when you're in what is, it is a relegation dogfight, to have those two as the players you're pinning pretty much your survival hopes on, you know, you feel a little bit, you know, you feel that, that Fafana and, and Saliba have been dealt a pretty harsh, harsh, uh, harsh, um, pack of cards there because <laughs> that's a lot to ask for, for, for two players, you know, with, with so little experience. Um, but we're, we're back to what we were saying. There's, there's no, if, if you're not going to have an attacking threat, at least have that rock solid defense that Saint-Etienne sort of were, were renowned for what yeah. four, five years ago. And it, it's, it's just not there. They're looking weak at the back um, you know, I think there are, have been times recently where Fafana and Saliba's inexperience has shown. Um, I'm not a fan of, of their fullbacks. You know, I, I, I quite like college. Oh, I can never say it quickly. College check. I quite like him as a player, <laughs> but I, I, I don't I don't see him as a left back. I, he's just he's just not a left back. He's, he's way too rash um, yeah. to be to be a to be a left back. And there's just, the, you know, there's just a lack of. Of creativity, there's a lack of organisation. You know, I'm I'm a big big Jan and Veer fan, but he has just gone off the boils so quickly. Um, you know, Johan Kabai, he's he's clearly not got it really anymore. Um, it, the whole team is just really really struggling at the moment, and it's a shame because if you go deeper into their their sort of youth system, and I'm not saying that's the answer right now, but if you go deep into their youth system i think saint-etienne got to the final did they they might have even won the gambardella yeah they won won the gambardella last season so there's 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 some there's some really good quality young players coming through i mean you look at the likes of fafana and saliba that's the that's the quality and caliber of player that they can produce but you know if the senior players are letting them down as clearly as the likes of mvia kabai dioni if they're letting them down as as much as they are, then you know if it's if it's it, it could quite easily fall into if it's not this season, it's next season where where they could face a drop here. And for a team like Saint-Étienne, I know they've you know, they've got you know fantastic history, but it's they've only been in top flight was it eight nine years since they last came up. Um, so they do have you know fairly recent history with 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 the uh, with the second division, and they will not want having tasted so much you know relative success um you know under Gautier a Coupe de la Ligue wins and um you know a number of top five finishes they will not want to go back down to the second tier but unless something changes and you know it, it may be that final act of desperation and, and you know dismissing Puel is is the only thing that they can do but I don't see how he stays to the end of the season I mean if, if they were to get rid of him who are there any viable options to replace him? Well, I can kind of sort of see Jean-Louis Gasset sort of rubbing off his little baseball cap now as we speak. Um, I guess he'd be the obvious sort of short-term saviour. But apart from him, can you see anyone else stepping in and able to to turn it around? Uh, to be, to, no, I mean, for, for me, I, I, I can't see it. It's, we, we've seen it so many times, haven't we? A team struggling... It does, as I say, it does scream of that final act of desperation to to sack the manager this late into the season. 
you know, team struggling, sat their manager at the city. It's almost resigned to the fact that, you know, relegation feels like it's a, it's almost a certainty. So I, I'm confident that they will sack him and they should sack him, but it, it's pretty poor state of affairs that Santetian have got into this mess in the first place. It would be sort of a nice symmetry. I mean, not nice for him, but he, he started his, his reign with a win against Lyon. It would be kind of, I don't know, like yeah. squaring the circle if he, if he if he was fired after this match. What, what yeah. about you, Clinton? Do you who who would you see taking over? Well, I can't really see anyone, um, and I don't think um, it might be the right decision to just fire him because I think what Sensei really need now is actually relegation. I'm going to be very very brutal about that. I think they need to get relegated so that they can get their house in order because I think. Um, Escaping relegation just kind of helps them to, you know, paper over the cracks, or it just means that they will paper over the cracks. They need that kind of disaster, relegation, to be able to let go of so many of these players that shouldn't be there anymore, and maybe like rebuild again. Sometimes relegation isn't the worst thing. Um, I always use Villarreal in Spain as an example. They were in Champions League. And they got relegated the same season. And somehow they went back, they lost a few players, and then they came back. And I think some years ago, I saw my club was on the brink of relegation. So I think I mentally prepared for it. And I could see the positives. I think it was probably the first time that I sat down to think about the the positives that could come from a team getting relegated because then you all those players that have been overpaid and not that are not really delivering on the field you can get rid of them and then also just rebuild build a more a more rounded squad a more balanced squad of players and then come back up again a better team because i i, I don't see that happening if santetian escape relegation this time i don't see it it's- happening it's a huge drop-off, though, because they had such a good season last season, and there haven't been yeah. that many changes in the squad. Yeah, yeah. I think um, their late-season momentum kind of pushed them really close to the CL spots. They had this momentum going, and they were just so so good in the last three, four months. And, you know, that's how they were. And also, of course, you can't discount the coaching that they had, you know, last year. But, um, they, like, like um, Richard mentioned... Over the years, they've they've been um, on the brink of something good, and then just doesn't happen. Something you just feel like they need to take like two, three extra steps, and they get there, but they always like fall short. So now that it has completely gone all the way down, and obviously the players that were performing last year or a few years ago aren't really at that level again, and the decline has been very steep. Um, it might be best to just, you know. This might be the build because that's what's going to happen if they, if they don't um, have that kind of disaster, like I said, and you know maybe they lo- they they'll obviously lose Saliba, he goes, and then you know they 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 just okay they say okay yeah we didn't get relegated, manager will get a a summer and precision to really plan and everything, and then they they keep some of those guys that that are past it, and next season it happens again. By that point, it might be a bit too late and too difficult to start, you know, putting things back together again. But I mean, one season down and then you fix everything and then you come back stronger. I think that could that could be the best bet for them. It's also what I think would happen with Toulouse if 
if they handle relegation properly because i think it just been for them it's kind of different from Southampton because Toulouse have been hovering around that they've been flirting with relegation for a while now and they just haven't gone down so probably because of that they've they've just been papering over the cracks and saying okay um at least we didn't get relegated so now when they get relegated they'll be forced to act so i think while they have different situations the the future for them might depend on them you know, both getting relegated now and, you know, getting their, their house in order. That's just okay. what I think. Well, we are going to stick a little bit with Saint-Étienne and Lyon because we'll go on to the, uh, the Coupe de France semi-final previews, which are um, taking place this, this week. But before I move on, I just want to ask a question for both of you. Bruno Guimaraes, best Brazilian in Liga? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I absolutely uh, love him. I love him. Yeah, I mean, he, he obviously arrived. I will not proclaim in any way, shape, or form that I had seen an ounce, a minute of his football. But it was clear, reading you know profiles on and 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 reviews on him, that he was coming with a you know a pretty significant reputation as a as a really good young player. Um, and certainly in the last couple of weeks. I, I've seen very clearly why because he's just he's been fantastic he's been absolutely fantastic in terms of what he can offer to that midfield uh, um, you know it, it sort of makes you think oh, if, if only if only they could have made this signing at the start of the season if only they could have made this signing they, they wouldn't have had such a tricky season just I mean they, you know the they're fifth, so it's hardly that bad. But they have had quite an up and down season. Um, if only they could have signed him from at the beginning of the season. But he is—he's been magnificent. I mean, the sort of mini partnership, if you like, that that he and and Husamau are, and I suppose to an extent, Luca Tussar as well, um, as a sort of midfield three. Uh, th- that trio is looking fantastic, and and Gimaraes is certainly a massive massive part of that and if you go from date of joining uh Liga and then yes without a shadow of doubt he has been the best Brazilian in, in France <laughs> okay um so yeah in the context of everything we've just said about both both clubs we've got um the Coupe de la Ligue uh, Coupe de France semi-finals this week so Lyon PSG on Wednesday Saint-Étienne Rennes on Thursday um, I guess, I mean, not just for Lyon Saint-Étienne, but let's talk about all four teams and PSG sort of looking a little bit back on form at the weekend. But obviously, this is not necessarily their priority. Um, Ren fighting for, for Champions League as well. So but a, a cup holder sort of title to, to defend. How, how important do you think these four teams are, are, are seeing these semi-finals? Do you think that we're going to see four sort of first teams being fielded or um, are we going to, you know, not not quite to the extent of the FA Cup and the disgraceful way that the likes of Jurgen Klopp are treating it? But do you think this is going to be sort of, it's going to be obvious that it's sort of not the priority for any of those teams right now? What do you think, Clinton? Um, I think they'll take it seriously, apart from maybe PSG. I think um, Lyon absolutely need to um win something it's been a while and they they really i mean the the last set of players under Genesio, it was said that okay these guys at least you're supposed to win something 
you know, to crown this really, really nice generation of players. Obviously, it wasn't for a long time, but that crop of players that they had in the past two years were supposed to win something together, and that never happened. And, you know, that was one of the issues. So now they're in a final, the Coupe de la Ligue final, and once again, they're in a semi-final against PSG at home. I think, first of all, the occasion already makes it the kind of game that they would want to, you know, fill their best players in, just so they can see if they can get to another final as well. And I think that um, Rudy Garcia will be looking at it and thinking, okay, league form hasn't been particularly good. I've not been able to really win the fans over. So um, a cup triumph, especially especially when you have to go through PSG twice, you know, in that, I mean. He's meeting PSG in the Coupe de la Ligue final and then another semi-final where he's meeting PSG. So if he's able to do that, then, of course, the, the tide might be turning in his favour and maybe then he'll be able to win over the fans. I mean, obviously, Silver World would do that. So I think he's going to take it very seriously. I think he's taken the Cups pretty seriously, you know, since he's arrived. So um, that, that that's certain. As for Ran, they won it last year. Um, they're in semi-finals. I mean, once you're in semi-finals... Obviously, you're probably thinking, why not just go on and you know try to get this? You're, you're thinking, then, I hope we get Santa again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. And um, for Santa again, I think um, also it's an opportunity for Claudio to, you know, make it look like he he, he have decent season and probably save his job. I mean, it's not likely that they'll sack him if he somehow gets into a final. So. You never know with that as well. So I think he's also going to field a strong enough squad for this. Um, he didn't particularly field a strong squad against um, PSG when they got knocked out of the Coupe de la Ligue. But I remember that game very well, that they were very, very impressive early on until the red card. So um, I think, you know, they might they might take this really seriously as well. But so PSG, they have Dortmund coming up. They can't afford injuries. And, and all of that, and that's that's their priority. So it's very very likely that you know there will be some rotation, and probably um, one of these one or two of the stars will be you know dropped or uh, benched or left out completely. So um, I think for the other three, this is a chance for them to get get a trophy or at least get to a final. But for PSG, it's not really a priority. So it's more likely to be PSG that don't field. Um, the full, their full team or their strongest. Rich, what do you reckon? Um, I, well, I think, um, I mean, PSG might not be able to put their strongest team out anyway with with the number of injuries that they've got. Sure. Um, I mean, they will have, they will have. I mean, it's 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 what are we? We're a week and a couple of days out. Out from from that uh, Dortmund home Champions League leg, and there's there's zero zero question that that is their biggest game of the season. So I think with you know with the league pretty much sewn up, I think we all know how that's going to end. There's a possibility they may just you know de France. They're gonna possibly possibly sacrifice that. Um, they they're gonna want as many fit players as possible. Um, for for that Dortmund game, so I, I think there will be some reasonable rotation in that PSG, um, in that PSG eleven. I mean they've, apart from last time out in the Coupe de France when they they thrashed Dijon, 
Um, you know, they've they've not been impressive in other, you know, their previous games. They only beat Poe 2-0. They only beat Lorient 1-0. So it's clear that it's not perhaps the biggest priority of, of their season. That comes in a week and a bit's time. So with it also being, I think it's in Lyon as well. Um, and I think with the way that Lyon are playing, um, you know, their, their Champions League game isn't until a week after the PSG game. So there's a little bit longer for for players to, to recover um, ahead of that. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Lyon put in a decent performance um, and possibly sneak a win on that one. Ren v Saint-Étienne, I mean, who knows, if to be perfectly honest. I mean, both teams will put out strong um, strong 11s. You know, the form book would say, yes, Ren will win that. Saint-Étienne are on a, hor- a horrible run. It's, it's at Stade Geoffrey Richard, so... Whether that counts for anything or not, I don't know how um, vociferous the Saint-Étienne fans will be, um, either against Rennes or against their own team. Um, Rennes obviously enjoyed a, a lovely day out to uh, the Stade de France back in uh, back in May uh, last year, so they'll they'll be keen for an, uh, they'll be keen. You know, they, they are uh, the defending champions. It would be nice to to retain that they will be keen to know as well that you know third place is very much well obviously they they are in that position at the minute but third place is definitely um an achievable um an achievable target for for the remainder of the season and so there will be that at the back of their minds but i think i think both teams will uh, will go out with, with their, probably their strongest 11s um it's not going to be a pretty game i i, I would probably go on a quite a bold prediction of it being a, a Leon v Ren uh, final would be if I, if I was to make a prediction for both semi-finals, I'd uh, I'd go with Leon to beat PSG and Ren to get a pretty tight win against Saint Etienne. Okay, you preempted my next question, Clinton. What, what are your predictions <laughs> for the two matches? Exactly the same. I think Leon win that um, and also run get through. I have no faith in Saint Etienne, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm sure, I'm sure about two weeks ago you had no faith in Lyon or PSG either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually did say that Lyon, there was no way Lyon were going to get anything out of the Juventus tie. I think and most somehow, people said that. Yeah, and people were telling me, of course it's football. I said, yeah, I know, of course it's football, but Lyon are pathetic. And somehow they just turned turned it. I think um, I'm going to give that to Bruno though. I think I'm going to give him the credits. He's the guy that's changed everything. So yeah, yeah, Bruno G. Um, <laughs> all right, we're gonna move on now to Rich's second favorite team, at least for this weekend, and that's Nantes. Um, <laughs> but um, they lost at home to Lille, which obviously keeps um, Lille just behind um, Rennes in the race for well, currently for for third place in the table and the and the final Champions League spot. Um, for me, it was it was a relatively comfortable win for Lille. I think probably the the scoreline was, if anything, a little bit flattering for Nantes. Um, how did you see this match, Rich? Uh, yeah, I think Lyon probably could and should have won this a little bit more comfortably. Um, I was, as a Ren fan watching this, I was sort of in two minds as to what result I actually wanted. Obviously, Lille were the you know, nearest challengers to to. Our third place spot, but Nantes obviously big rivals. 
a draw, I suppose, would have been quite nice. But it, in in true Wren fashion, an old player comes to haunt them. It's Benjamin <laughs> Andre, um, about ten minutes or so into the second half, that popped up uh, to get the winner. I mean, Lille should have should have put this uh, firmly out of sight. Um, I think they really struggled to. Um, I think they really struggled to create massively clear opportunities. They were quite wasteful in front of goal. Um, I think the likes of um, Ikone weren't certainly... Ikone, I didn't think, was at his best. I think he, I'm not sure he's been at his best, actually, for a while now. Uh, Austin Hearn and Remy, you know, they've, they've been... A, two, I think they've had two pretty decent seasons. I think Austin Hearn, um obviously, new to the, the league, has, has, has come in and, and played really well for Lille. But... The two of them, I think, struggled a little bit. Obviously, um, Nantar are quite a physical team, certainly at the back. You know, they will make things difficult. But certainly in low, Remy, they've got, you know, Lille have got a physical striker um, to go up against them. So it, it should have been far easier for, for Lille. They sort of seem to just about do enough in games and you just feel they're not quite... If they, if, yeah, I always think that there's a little bit more to come from Lille. I think with the players that they've got and the way that they can play football, I just feel they're almost... I don't know if it's that they're just taking things a little bit easy or if they're playing within themselves, but I just think Lille could... You know, it feels like it could just be unleashed a little bit more. And I think if they do that, then I think they, you know, they, they probably become favourites for that third spot almost immediately. But until such time as that happens and... You know they are not playing at their sort of rhythmic best. Then I think that gives an opportunity to the other teams around them. Clinton, moving on to to their to their opponents here, Nantes. I think I mean obviously at some point in the season they're doing really well. I think they're in third place. Um, I think they were second at some point as well. Second, maybe yeah. They've got you know a really rich history. They've got for the moment uh, a decent a decent ground. I think they're. Maybe not everyone's second favourite team, but obviously Rich's, but not everyone. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, generally they've got probably for, for the, you know, the Le Nantes and the, the famous way that, that their, their league winning teams have always played. I think most people have got a soft spot for them. But the last few years, it hasn't been so great. They, like I said, they started well, but I think now it's one win in seven. They're, they're down in 11th place. What? What's what's the point of Nantes? What like <laughs> <laughs> I mean where, where are they where are they going? Obviously, I mean for me it's the Keita factor. I think he's a massive hindrance to their chances of doing anything. But I, I mean, can you can you ever see them getting back near the top or are they just destined to I, I don't know, languish in mid table and maybe even do a Toulouse and just fall off the other end at some point if they're not careful? Um, I think they're language table for a while, for a long while. Um, it's like they, they don't have it in them to push on and they don't have it in them to drop. They just they just hover around. I thought I actually thought um, this season was going to be different the way they started and you know defense was so good. They weren't considering too many goals and all of that. And then all of a sudden you know, the form started to drop. I was actually really surprised that they won that game last weekend against, um, previous weekend against Marseille, away at Marseille, because their form going into that game was horrible. 
four losses and two draws, and then all of a sudden they turned up. And then after that, back back to the same old form. Um, I I really don't know the direction that they're going in. To be honest, I don't I don't know. I I feel like I say this about too many league on teams. It's like they're oh, very comfortable. We're, gonna, we're coming on to two more in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everyone is so comfortable being mediocre. Like at some point, you're supposed to be thinking of the next step, the next stage where you step up as a team to another level, maybe get European you know, football, then from there, maybe try to be a Champions League team or something. And it's like most of these teams are just comfortable being meetable, selling players, getting new players, and just stay in the same spots and all of that. Maybe the fans are not demanding enough of them. You know, maybe the fans are not as demanding as they should be. You know, demand that, okay, this team, we've been, we've been around this level for so long. What's what's next step? What, where are we going? What's the direction and all of that? But I don't know. It's like they are comfortable. I think it's kind of the, obviously, culture of Ligon these days where teams are just comfortable being average. And it's not really a good thing. So I, I don't know where nuns are going but I really really hope that they're able to surprise me which doesn't happen often so I'm not sure I think uh, Kita and Goku I'm not sure the combination to to surprise you <laughs> well I mean Kita, I think Kita could definitely do something to surprise but it's not necessarily going to be for the best for nuns I think <laughs> Um, for me, not standout player at the weekend, which probably said a lot about Lille's domination, was um, I thought Albon Lafont, who, who hasn't really had the, the easiest couple of years, but I thought he, he looked really good, a couple of excellent saves at the weekend. And I thought this match was quite an interesting showcase. And we we're going to talk later about a particular player who, who maybe could be a, a good candidate for, for a place in the Euros. But this match, I thought, was actually quite a good showcase of a few players who maybe could be pushing for spaces. Um, firstly, on the on the non-French side, there's um, there's Renato Sanchez, who is genuinely giving me nightmares because um, <laughs> you, know, you know four years ago, Edel Edel was crap. Lille decided to bring him in, save his career, and he repays the whole French nation with a with a Euro winner. And San- Sanchez has really played himself back into form, which is a concern being in the same group as France. But there's a couple of other players there. There's Lafont, obviously. Ikone, as Rich said, was a little bit wasteful, but there are also a couple of nice sort of Zidane pirouettes. I thought they were, they were quite useful. Um, and then Loic Remy, I know he's, he's not a spring chicken anymore, but he's actually looking in, in sort of top form at the moment. Can, can you see any of those players or any others that were on the pitch in these two matches that were sneaking into, into <laughs> any Euro sports? You've missed the obvious one there, Jez. Actually, I, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm, I was going to say I'm disappointed you didn't mention Andre. <laughs> That's a given. If, if N'Golo Kante is not at his is uh, at full fitness for the Euros, Benjamin Andre is ready, willing, and able to step up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean they that you know they are they are pl- the players that you mentioned. You know they are fringe, very very much fringe. Um, Ikone obviously has that advantage of being in and around um, the most recent squads. Lafont has the has the advantage of being in and around the youth squads. Um, he's had a tough, I think, it's, you know, tough season um, back in France. It didn't quite work out for him at Fiorentina. He's come back to France. There had, it sort of fits and starts. I mean, the match on 
the match on Sunday probably was a good highlight for for how his his time back in France has been. You know, there were some really really good good saves um, that he put out put out there, but there were also some slightly rash moments. I think he, he head out of his out of his goal completely unnecessary to to bring down um, I forget which Lille player it was, but right by the uh, right by the bylines. So I what on earth he was thinking of, but certainly some rash moments there. Um, you know, Loic Remy has been in um, French teams previously, so obviously has that experience. Um, I think, yeah, I think for for certainly those latter two, I think there's going to have to be something that 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 does go quite severely wrong um, with uh, with a number of players before I think consideration arrives at, at their door um i mean we know what deschamps is like in terms of um you know sort of club form only counts for so much it's yeah, it's then sure. what do, what do you what do you do when you have your chance with france almost is is the biggest thing for deschamps um and it's it's clearly worked so i'm not here to make any any kind of judgment on that that uh that tactic at all so it's going to be very very difficult for any of these players that aren't currently in or around that French team very very difficult for any of them I think to 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 really look at breaking in um I think the only ones that you can probably look at really in terms of don't, I may prove, prove wrong here so bear with me but the only ones that sort of haven't been in and around that French team that probably could be looking at a call-up are your likes of Moussa Dembele um, you know, who who doesn't have cats, hasn't, as far as I know, I can't remember if he got a late call up in a more recent squad, but isn't a, certainly isn't a regular in and around that squad, but has been playing really really well now for a number of seasons, and and obviously with a you know Lacazette being completely out of favour, question marks perhaps sadly over Giroud, um. You know, it's it's you know it could fall on someone like Moussa Dembele to step up. I think these players, where it's it certainly is a bit more of a of a fringe pick. Um, I think it's going to be that bit tougher for them. Okay, I've got Vincent. It was just slightly well, tan- tangentially. I just want to ask you about another French position because this is one okay. where in the past has always been an issue, but actually we're a little bit blessed now. And this was the uh, the conversation that Rich and I were having. Well, not a conversation. We were, I just forwarded what Lisa, as you said. But um, there's now left back. There's both Mendes. There's Dean. There's Hernandez. There's actually two Hernandezes or Hernandez I. I don't know what the plural. Hernandezes. Um, <laughs> um, and if you believe Frank Leboeuf, there's also Ivory Coast International Maxwell Corne. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, who who are your who would you who are your two left backs that you're taking to the Euros with you? Uh, okay, this is this is uh, if I'm going to make that, I'm going with Ferland and Lucas. Um, I think um, this is also something that Deschamps likes. He likes to go with players that he knows and that have come through for him before. So that, that already guarantees Lucas, in my opinion. And then um, Feland has just been irresistible. And I think that with the kind of form that he has shown in Real Madrid and being in Real Madrid also, I think it could count a lot for him. And I think he, he definitely gets into that team. 
But then again, um, <laughs> Benjamin Mendy is um, a player that Deschamps likes. I mean, last the World Cup, he, he came back from injury just a few weeks before the World Cup and he made the squad. So it's very, very hard for me to rule him out as well. But I don't think he's been really good. I think um, recently, I think the injuries have taken their toll on him. So he's not really at his best. I don't think it's a good idea to, to you know go with him. So for me, personally, I'd say Feland and Lucas. But you never know. You just never know. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, do, I agree with those two. I'd bring Benjamin Mendy as some kind of mascot, I think. It <laughs> helps the, um, what do you call it? It helps the atmosphere, uh, the behind the scenes thing. I think that's also exactly. something that the shop is very big on. So. Yeah. Okay, let, so... Let, him, let, let him run their Instagram account for the course of the sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's also why Kimpembe gets in, even when he's not in form. <laughs> he's the DJ of the team. Even when he's not, I love the way you say even when he's not in form like that's the exception <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a big Kimpembe fan so of course I'm going to, I'm going to stand for him uh, he's just going through a phase he's going to get back to his best we've seen him at his best in that one game against Messi and you know soon okay. he's going to be a starter soon I'll tell you what <laughs> Um, I just want to move on to the, the third match of Sunday and we sort of talked about Nantes and what's the point of them. Bordeaux won Nice one. <laughs> um, to be fair, two fantastic goals, but otherwise not so much going on. Uh, I, I'm always, every time I see Bordeaux play, I'm mystified by the, whoever made the decision to, to make all the seats white because it just highlights how <laughs> terrible their attendances are. And for the most part, quite right too, I think. But at the same time, there's so much going on off the pitch. And for me, I, I feel a little bit sorry for Paolo Suzo, who I think is, is probably doing the best he can with a bad situation. But, um, I mean, I suppose it's the same kind of question for, for both these teams. Like Bordeaux, are, like I said, and I think being affected by off-the-pitch stuff. Nice, for me, have been quite disappointing this year. What, like, Rich, where do you see these teams going? Where do you see the two coaches going even? Do you think either of them will be there at the start of next season? What, again, what's the point of Bordeaux and Nice? Uh, It's a good question. I think certainly one have a little bit more promise than the other. Um, If I go on the the real sort of question mark team, it's Bordeaux. Um, I think until they sort out their issues behind the scenes and um, at the top end of the club, then no, nothing's going to be happening there. This seems to be endless, endless sort of circle of this person's taken over. No, this person's taken over and then we're going to buy them out and then they're going to buy us out. And there seems to be so much promise. I'd hate to be a Bordeaux fan. You know, it, it, there's so much promise and you just think, we're on the cusp of something and then no, you've got your choice of seats if you are a Bordeaux well, exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah um but yeah you just you just think I mean we at some point we just have to accept the fact that actually you know what Bordeaux aren't a big team anymore we keep constantly whenever we talk about Bordeaux seem to think they're they are they're, they're almost there it would only take a little bit and a little bit here <laughs> to make them into a good team actually you know what I think it's going to take a lot more I think there has to be quite severe uh, and fairly wholesale changes throughout that squad. I mean, I love him, but you cannot still be relying 
on Jimmy Brion to lead your line. <laughs> um, and I think the fact that they are and the fact that their big summer signing was Laurent Koscielny, I think sort of signals where Bordeaux are as a club. It's like, I think they've got ambition, but actually when you look at it, there really isn't much much ambition there. And I think actually long are the days now where we, we think of of Bordeaux was this big team. Yes, there is a, some history there and they've had some wonderful players over the years, but they're no longer that team. That team and any of those past teams are way, way back in, in terms of distant memories. This is a Bordeaux team which are just, there's, there's nothing to them. And it's been that case for quite a while now. I mean, we're, we're probably getting on for, well, I think ever since, you know, the, the 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 Laurent Blanc era at Bordeaux. I think since then they have been on fairly consistent, and it's not even been a gentle decline. I think it's been quite, you know, quite a dramatic decline. Um, but sort of year in year out they're in that, and it goes back to what Clinton was saying about teams perhaps lacking um, that ambition that they were able to get some sort of sixth, seventh spot finishes because there always seems to be a group of about six seven eight teams in the middle of the division that are only you know you could throw easily throw a blanket over them they're so close and Bordeaux were just the ones that for a couple of seasons profited on that they weren't playing good football they didn't particularly have big name players or particularly massively talented players it's just that they were fortunate enough that come the end of the season were the best of about eight middle you know middle fairly middle of the road teams um, in mid-table. Uh, I mean, it's it, it will take a lot, I think, with Bordeaux. I think it needs revamps on and off the pitch um, to sort out what Bordeaux's problems are. So I, I think long are the days where we can see Bordeaux as a team just needing a few tweaks to bring back the good days. It, it's going to need something far, far bigger. For Nice, of course, it's, 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 it's potentially the start of something really, really good. And it will take some time. Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's money available. All of a sudden money has been spent on players. You know, any time that there's a start of a new project like that, unless you're going to go out and do what effectively what Chelsea did when Abramovich came in and throw, you know, tens, hundreds of millions at players. I mean, you know, the Nice project seems far more reserved than that. Um, you know, I think this is just going to be a slow burner. It's not necessarily a project there where instant success um, however I suppose you want to determine what that success looks like but they're not necessarily in it for instant success this seems to be something that they're going to want to gradually get to and I think that's why perhaps they've stuck with Patrick Vieira um, as they have done because you know certainly the team haven't perhaps performed as, as they would want and perhaps that's why there haven't been more question marks over Vieira's future Um but certainly, you know, if I was to choose to be a fan of either, you'd, you'd want to be Nice. You know, there, there seems to be a, it's, it's back to the P word, it's the project word. There seems to be something there, some structure there that shows that there is a roadmap for the future for Nice. I don't see that with uh, with Bordeaux. It seems as though every roadmap for the future with them is just scrawn on the back of a post-it note. And then every two months it's screwed up and thrown in the bin and a new note is written. Uh, on some post-it note, there doesn't really seem to be any direction there. So Nice, I think, are over the you know next few years are, are heading in the right direction. Uh, just because there's a you know a billionaire owner doesn't necessarily mean that 
he's he's in it or or the project is in it for that instant success. It will be something I think that works over time. In terms of going back to you, you probably your initial question of which of the two managers could you see at the start of next season? I think I could certainly see Vieira at Nice far more than I can see Soto. I don't necessarily see any sacking for for Paolo Soto. I just think he probably get fed up of everything yeah. that's going on behind the scenes. I think Vieira is relatively settled now. Obviously, um, you know, when when the, the old owners came back in, there were question marks over his relationship with them and whether that would... That seems to have calmed a little bit. And I think there's a bit of trust there. I do think they will continue to stick with him, unless obviously things fall off a cliff for the rest of the season. I do think they will stick with him. So, sir, I think I think you're right in saying I think he's done a, a sterling effort in considering the circumstances. I just think he'll get to the point where he's fed up and I think he'll just walk away. Clinton, what do you think? Do you, do you think maybe despite the fact that this is early on in the project, do you think maybe Nice have actually underachieved a little bit this year? Yeah, I do. I, I think that this team is probably capable of more than they are showing. Um, they've lost nine games already this season in 27 games that's that's a bit too much um and sometimes it just feels like they're holding back like you can see that there's there's so much more that can come from these players and it's just not showing on the pitch so in a way i'm, I'm a bit disappointed with you know viera's um management of the team because i think that he's probably not the guy that will take them to the next level but then is also pretty comfortable and i think that um if they have a strong finish if they have a strong finish this season and are able to get the european spot then maybe maybe they could you know build from there but currently i've not i've not been overly impressed i think that they have they have players that that can do much more than they're doing I, i'd expect them to be in the hunt for a sale place already you know at this point but unfortunately they are, they're a bit you know, below that, 38 points from 27 games isn't great. It's 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 hardly impressive. I think they're ju- they're just where they are because, well, those around them aren't particularly good either. So everyone's just 38 points. There, there are three teams of 38 points and three teams of 40 points. So it's that's six teams already around. And I mean, 40 points in 27 games, 38 points in 27 games. It's not particularly, you know. Excellent, but that's and those teams are occupying the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth positions. So if that's what they are competing with, then I mean you, you can see why we would expect them to be doing so much better. But regardless, um, I think of the two managers, obviously he's the one that is safer. I agree with Rich when he says that um, Paul Sousa will probably get fed up and just walk. Um, Vera is not likely to do that. I think he's 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 more long. He's thinking. Is more long term because there's a project. So um, a lot will depend on how they handle the transfer window next. Um, because I think they did okay last summer. They, they don't seem like a team that want to just go out and splash cash anyhow. Uh, there's some thought to um, everything that they do. There's, there's a defined process somewhat. Um, hopefully, if they're able to build, if they're able to finish strongly and then build on that, get get the squad, make the squad stronger in the summer and then start next season very well, then maybe maybe I can see you know, Vera lasting pretty long there. But, I mean, expectations are going to be growing as they're spending money. I don't know 
if he's going to have the ability or if he has the ability to match those expectations. But I think it remains to be seen. But so far, um, they, they, they are the more um, healthy team compared to Bordeaux. Bordeaux are just so-so. I think um, I think I've mentioned it before, but probably what sums up Bordeaux and certainly their owners is that um, when the new owners came in, they produced a booklet to kind of try to get investment into the club, and uh, they sort of bigged up Ligan as a producer of great talent. Um, and to illustrate that, they, they had photos of um, Paul Pogba and Antoine de Griezmann, neither of whom have played in Ligan. <laughs> and they also sort of made a big fuss about what a great stadium Bordeaux had. And they had a photo of Toulouse's stadium. Yeah, accidental. On Thursday's preview show, we ended up having quite an interesting chat about um, uh, the coaches in Liga and how, as usual, the, the, the French media itself is probably a little bit too hard on their on their own league and how there's actually some some excellent coaches that are probably a little underrated. Um, I yeah. wanted to sort of kind of move on from that and talk about maybe a, uh, a certain position, a uh, footballing position that um, I, I think France are really rich in at the moment, or Ligue 1 is rich in, and that's that's goalkeepers. We've mentioned Lafont already, who had, a, who had a good weekend. Lopez um, in the second half really came good when he needs to. Rykovic, for me, has been the best keeper this best. year. Yeah. Ukija had another really good game and has been particularly in 2020 in great form helping Mess. Um, Montpellier ran out of three nil winners, but they were hanging on for a good sort of 50 minutes or so, and their keeper really was really keeping them in the game. Um, and then at the other end, you've got Mobler in Ligue 2, and if anyone hasn't seen it, it's um, <laughs> I forget which team it was now. It was against Caen. Was it Grenoble? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I recommend anyone looking up Mobler's <laughs> mistake for Grenoble this weekend. Um, poor, poor guy. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, that there's some really good keepers, and I know certain podcast regulars here would would have you believe that Mondonda, who <laughs> for me made two massive mistakes again at the at the weekend. I mean, I think the second goal, however much he was moaning, was was bad goalkeeping, and there was another one that he almost let over his own line after it came back off the post. Um, some people say he's the best keeper this year, but he's not. He'll win the awards, but we know he's not. Uh, I just thought maybe we could have like a couple of minutes appreciation on, on Liga goalkeepers. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go on, Clinton. Um, no, 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 you go on. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I naturally, I'm going to be entirely selfish here and I'm going to throw in... Um, well, I mean, God love him, man alive. I mean, if you want consistency over a, you know, what, eight, nine year career, ten year career in in the top flight, he can't be far off. He's he's he has been fantastic. No, it's it's Edouard Mendy. Um, obviously, last season was was brilliant for for Rouse and um and and Ren decided, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a bit of that. Uh, Thomas Kubek. Decent enough goalkeeper, but was starting to let more and more errors come into his game. Um, so they they snapped Mendy up, and and the money that was spent on him is looking um, each and each game. It seems that that money is starting to to make a lot of sense. 
Um, you know, they've only conceded 24 goals um, this season, which is the same amount conceded as PSG. And I think, I think only Rams themselves conceded um, fewer goals. So I think Edouard Mendy is is, is fantastic, and uh, you know we, we've seen that now for two seasons. But as you rightly say, the list of of really really good goalkeepers goes on throughout France, and it seems to be obviously you could probably stem a lot of that back to when it was a very defensive league. Um, you know, maybe there was a a bit of a requirement for for goalkeepers to be the real sort of heroes of those teams. Um, um, I, I think probably five, six seasons ago, um, perhaps the quality in that particular area of the field dropped off slightly as as obviously with the money coming into PSG allowed them and, and with them meant more teams followed suit in terms of a more attack-minded style of play. Um, but I think we're, we're very, very much back on track of of being a league of, of brilliant, brilliant goalkeepers. Some young, some experienced, some from, you know, they're not necessarily French French produced, but the eye for a, a good goalkeeper um, is, is strong in France. Um, I think the majority of teams in, in, in France, you know, if you were to put their top three, four players of the season, I would say the majority of these teams in the top flight, their goalkeeper would would firmly sit within those top three, four players of nearly every single team. Um, so I think the quality of those players, I mean, the ones that you look at, obviously, Stefan Ruffier. Um, it feels like we've picked on Saint-Étienne quite a lot on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> Stefan Ruffier obviously is someone that until recently was in and around that French squad. Um, on his day capable of some fantastic saves but also on his day capable of some horrific clangers um i think we could probably all remember that one i think it was at the park de prince against psg where a back pass came in and he took a touch but the touch was basically him passing it into his own net um so perhaps he and, and a, a couple of others are the slight exception to the rule but by and large it's it is a it's sorry it is a division blessed with with a real high quality um level of goalkeepers yeah so um some months back um sometime in november or so i i kind of noticed that legon goalkeepers were actually doing so well so uh, i think i highlighted about four or five players on my twitter um, I think Lasonia, um, Rajkovic at that time, Lasonia, Rajkovic, um, Kelonavas as well, even though he has dropped off recently, and a, a few others. And I, I've been following it a bit, maybe not as much as I was earlier, but at that time, though, Lasonia was the best performing goalkeeper in Europe in terms of expected goals statistically and we had about three four goalkeepers in the league i think also i highlighted mendy we had about three four goalkeepers in the league that had over 80 percent safe percentage which was crazy because there's no reason why you should be having i mean that's that's the level that guys like allison are, are, are playing at allison and couture recently and all of that but to have like four goalkeepers or five goalkeepers within that range it was insane and you know I think that a lot of the goalkeepers have been very impressive. I've been really, really, really impressed with Kija recently. 
It's just been pulling blinders and blinders and blinders. Raikovic, obviously, for me, has been the best goalkeeper in the league this season. And he's still... He's, even penalties are hard to score against him. That's how good he is. Uh, we saved three of the four penalties he's faced. And um, Mendy, Ruli, all those guys, Antonio Lopez, uh, Antonio Lopez, obviously. And I think it's something that is pretty underrated about Ligue 1, the goalkeepers. Because the general narrative outside is that... Uh, Defense is bad. Goalkeepers are goalkeepers are bad. Blah 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 blah. And really, it's just all nonsense. Because if you really look at it, the goalkeepers are actually really performing. Say for a few, if you guys are not really doing well, like Gardner, sadly. But um, Lecomte as well was supposed to be, you know, really good for Monaco. And I think he picked up halfway in the season, and then he's just dropped off recently. So Gardner, Ruffier. Um, those guys are understandable, but in terms of goalkeepers, Menu, that have, we haven't even mentioned Menu either. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really good. Last season specifically, he was he was absolutely amazing. I think this season he has dropped a bit, but he's still been pretty reliable for for Lille. And unfortunately, he he has had to face six penalties, so that that's not on him anyway. But I think um, in the end. Of course, Mandanda has also been important for Marseille, to be honest. He has had so he has made some pretty, pretty good saves that have kept them in games, but he's also been shaky a bit sometimes. So I understand why he shouldn't win in goalkeeper. Personally, I'll give it to Rajkovic, absolutely, 100%. I have a soft spot for Lasonia, but I think recently he's been considering some pretty suspect goals. Like this this weekend, he considered a goal that I thought he should have done better with. Um, the the it was to his near post and he he sort of um, it was from Balkan I think he sort of expected um, a a um, square ball so he already moved and then it's sort of like what happened with Rufia and Payet where Payet deceived him into thinking that he was going to play it across and then um, went to near post. But um, outside of that, I think. Lasonia has had a really, really good season as well. I think Kija has had a good season. I think um, Mendy has had a good season. I think Mondanda has had a good season. I think Ruli has had a good season. Lafont La as well. So that's what you're already looking at seven, eight, nine goalkeepers that have, have had like really good seasons. And I, I don't think that's I'd normal. Actually, I'd actually also mention Gomez, uh, Dijon. I know he's yeah, yeah. Before he got injured. Yeah, true that, true that. So um, Gomez as well. In fact, I think Costillo has not been that bad too. Um, I've seen him make some really, really good saves this season. For me, if I'm going to mention goalkeepers that have not really performed, I, I don't think it's going to be more than four or five names. I'm thinking um, Ludovic Patel, I'm thinking Gottner, I'm thinking Ruffier, I'm thinking Lecomte, and maybe Reynet, um, Baptiste Reynet for Toulouse. Outside of those five, I can't really say that you know, the others haven't been pretty good for the most part. So if you're looking at 15, 14, 15, even 13 goalkeepers playing blinders in the league, I think that's just insane. That's an insane, insane, insane goalkeeper all doing well at the same time. I think that's probably one. I mean, everyone likes to look at midfielders in Ligue 1 and say it's midfielders. That's, that's what Ligue 1 has. Loads of midfielders, amazing midfielders and all of that. But I think also those those goalkeepers are being overlooked a lot. Yeah, can't, can't argue with that. I think there's definitely 
as Rich said, it's sort of been up and down over the years. Um, but I think that there has been a very good tradition of, of really good goalkeepers, um, French or otherwise, sort of coming through, being discovered. And the obvious, the obvious real standout name of recent years, obviously, is, is Peter Cech. Um, he's, yeah. <laughs> and, but, yeah. <laughs> I remember when he, he left Ron and went, um, during the European Championships of 2004, and I was just looking at this guy and saying, how does anyone score against this guy? Because <laughs> everything, he was saving everything. Amazing guy. Just want to finish off tonight by, by going back to, to one of the regular slots, and that's looking at um, certain French players who may or may not be on the on the plane to <laughs> so plane to plane to everywhere this uh, <laughs> this, this summer or, no, or, 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 or nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, also, but by the way, there, there's also there is also international football uh, during the week with uh, French, the French women. Bleu with an E um, playing a friendly against Canada. Um, the the sort of main headline of, of that squad announcement is that Guy Gaetantine is not in the squad. Um, she's kind of been in and out of the, the squad the last couple of years and was in the World Cup squad, but is one of those that, that maybe is sort of being a scapegoat for what was, I think, a pretty disappointing performance overall from France. Um, but the, the men's team, it's it's come around quickly but there's there's two internationals at the end of this month um so you know, squad announcement sooner rather than later and i think one name that probably a lot of people are expecting to see this time around who i think he's same as as rich said about dembele i don't think he's been outright picked but i think he joined the squad maybe after an injury recently um is Hussein Awa. kind of opened the program talking about him and his teammates and and how, in particular, um, since Gimarish has, has, has been in, he's kind of gone into yet another level. Um, do you would you expect to see him in the in the squad in whenever it's announced next week? And if so, do you think he's deserving of the place? Uh, uh, well, yes, and yes to give two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I mean, we, we we know that we know we know how good of a player Awar is, and I think my only concern. Um, over the last what, two years since he's been in and around the first team, my only concern is can we can we start to see it consistently? And I think uh, um, I think if we go back certainly certainly since the start of the year, and I think we'll probably go back a little bit further, but certainly since the start of the year, I do think he's brought that consistency to his game. He's brought that influence, um, and we can go very recent, of course, to. Um, just let's. I mean, if we just pick out because they're both fresh in the mind. The last two games, the the game against Saint-Étienne and the game against Juventus, I thought he was brilliant in both. Um, perhaps second half against Saint-Étienne, a little bit of a drop there, but he wasn't alone. But certainly that Juventus game, I thought he was magnificent. Um, I think the ability that he's got now to to have a more regular influence on the game, to recognise that actually. He's no longer the sort of fresh face kid. He's he's got some experience behind him. Leon need him. Leon need if they're if they're to have any kind of success, they need our playing at his best regularly. And I think he's now recognised that and he's now producing that. I think the the ability he's got of, of both on and off the ball, in terms of running with the ball, in terms of distribution, 
in terms of the movement in and around the box. I, I just think he's now starting to bring it all together um, into what we, what we all effectively what we all hoped he was going to be. I think in that sort of tail end of Fekir's time at Lyon, I think with, with his role and Auer's role sort of overlapping, I think Auer came out second best. And I don't think, for, for example, last season, didn't think it was a particularly good season for him. I would like to have seen a bit more from him. But certainly I think with, with Fekir now gone, it's taken a couple of weeks, took a few, took a few maybe even months for him to get completely adjusted to that role. But he certainly, as I say, since the, since, since the turn of the year, he has taken that, 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 uh, that role um, remarkably well. As I say, we, we, we can, we've seen what he can do. For me, it was always he needs to bring it all together and it then needs to become a regular thing. It is now becoming a regular thing. And I think he's going to benefit from it. I think Leon will benefit from it. And I think what we could be looking for is is possibly France, in certainly at the, Euro 20, uh, the European Championships, they could benefit as well because he's a magnificent player. Um, you know, Olas has recognised that already. He's been touting him around left, right and centre to whatever club may be paying the money because he's clearly going to be the next big money homegrown departure from from Lyon. Um, I mean, what that money is and who he goes to, I, I, I don't know. But he's doing everything in his power to make himself aware um, and certainly on the radar for so many teams because that consistency and bringing everything together has now become part of his game. Tinton, any arguments of any of that? <laughs> I think it's no, hard to argue against it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I agree with, with Rich that I think last year, earlier this year as well, I think, this season rather, um, there are a couple of times where certainly Leon fans were pushing for, for him to be in the squad. And I've, I got criticism for criticising him, but it's the same thing. I, I think, the frustration with him was everyone knows what a great player he is, but there wasn't enough consistency. And um, particularly when he'd be able to raise his game for, for matches like Man City, but then sort of go missing for, for a few weeks. But yeah, in recent weeks, I think he's just been consistent, consistently excellent. And he's just so good technically, so intelligent. Um, as we said, the way he's sort of immediately fitted in with, with Guimaraes, like two such intelligent players that, that they, they're, already sort of understanding each other and feeding off each other um yeah as long as he keeps up this form i think it'd be a great addition to the to the france squad Definitely. um okay i think we'll leave it for there for tonight um so yeah lots of good football to come this week with the coupe de france semi-finals and then obviously coronavirus permitting another full program of, of Liga matches next week um, in the meantime um, keep in touch with uh, Get French Football News on Twitter um, where you can find um, Rich Clinton and me as well and also um, a quick plug for our new um, Get, Get French Football in general not just French football but all football a magazine the modern footballer mag which um, you'll see being plugged on all the Get, Get French Football or get football networks and also they've got their own Twitter handle which is do you know offhand I can't remember exactly what it is at, at the modern footballer there you go um so have a look at that some fantastic articles in there 
and hopefully the the, the first of a, a very successful magazine. Um, and until the next time, which is hopefully Thursday for the preview show, um, and also to, to look back on the two semi-finals. Thanks very much to Rich and Clinton. Thank you. And Thanks for having us. No problem. And see you soon.